3: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Then Orson Welles stars in his radio show that was a prequel to his film, The Third Man, on the lives of Harry Lyme from 1951. With me, as always, is my co host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? I'm back. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Last time, we started listening to our Miss Brooks from January 9th, 1949, called Poor Heat, starring Eve Arden. Let's tune in to the conclusion now of our Miss Brooks.
2: Come in.
4: Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh,
0: it's you, Miss Brooks. How do you feel this morning?
4: Cold, thanks, especially in here. Where do you hang your sides of beef, Mr. Boynton?
0: We... <laughs> <laughs> this kind of silly of that. I was going to ask Mr. Coughlin about the heating situation, but now that you're here, I wonder if you would, uh... Naturally. (laughs) You better slip this coat on. Even your voice is shivering.
4: (laughs) No, this outfit I'm wearing is fairly warm. I've got four sweaters on, you know.
0: Really? Where?
4: Let's not get racy, Mr. (laughs) Boynton.
0: Sorry, Miss Goodson. I I didn't mean anything personal. You never do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the situation is pretty bad. Now take my prize frog, McDougal, for instance. He's had a sore throat for weeks, and now with this cold spell, I'm afraid he's developing sinus trouble. Oh, here's his cage, right here.
4: Hello, Mac. How do you feel? He's in tight. Have a Kleenex, Mac. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: It's no wonder he's sick. Look at the tank he's in. No provisions for heating the water at all. Oh, this morning, his breakfast was frozen two inches from his nose. By the time he did eat, he had indigestion.
2: Well,
4: that's really awful, Mr. Boynton. This equipment is pretty obsolete. What's this bowl here? Oh, these must be some new fish. What's the name of these pretty blue ones, Mr. Boynton? Goldfish. They're just cold. They should slap their tins together. Oh, look at these cute little guinea pigs. Now, they're what I call sensible animals. Look how they huddle together for warmth in their cage. You know, Mr. Boynton, you and I could keep kind of warm that way, too.
0: Oh, no, we couldn't, Miss Brooks. We could never fit into a cage that size.
4: Well, no, but it would be fun trying to. Look, Mr. Boynton, about what do you estimate it would cost for new equipment for this lab?
0: Oh, a couple of hundred dollars, roughly. One fifty if you smooth it out. (laughs) That's sort of a joke, Miss Brooks. First I said roughly, and then one fifty if you smooth it out.
4: Oh. (laughs) That's a Lulu.
0: Uh, I know another one, but I wish you'd stop me if you've heard it. It's about this group of people...
4: I've heard it. (laughs)
0: Have Uh, the one about the group of people who are all discussing something in a very animated manner, and suddenly they stop, and this one fellow says, "Is anybody eating a lifesaver?" And somebody else says, "Why?" And the first chap says, "Because there's a hole in the conversation." (laughs) Is that
4: the one you've heard? No, I heard a different one. Tell yours.
0: It's about. (laughs) I I just did tell it, Miss Brooks.
4: so you did, Mr. Boynton, and a little beauty it was, too. But I'd better get ready for my first class now. I'll see Mr. Conklin at the beginning of lunch
0: period. Well, it's awfully nice of you to do this, Miss Brooks. Will you have lunch with me afterwards?
4: Oh, I'd love to, Mr. Boynton.
0: Uh, and, Miss Brooks, please don't even bring your purse with you. It, it only embarrasses me when you try to pay your own check in the cafeteria.
4: All right, Mr. Boynton, I'll leave my bag in my desk.
0: Fine. When I see you to your room, I can pick up what you owe me. <laughs>
4: good one, too. <laughs> what am I laughing at? He's not kidding.
2: <laughs>
4: Let's see this list now. Weather stripping for my room, $50. Basketball team equipment, 100 New sewing machine, about 200 And biology lab equipment, 150 Total, $500. Of course, that's without the additional coal we'll have to get. Well, here goes. Come in. Hello, Mr. Conklin. I just wanted to Sit down
1: a moment, Miss Brooks. I'm speaking on the phone. Yes, sir. So you see, Miss Stanhope, this senseless extravagance has got to stop. Why, do you realize that your art class used up three more drawing pencils this month than last? (laughs) What do you think the school board is made of? Money? What? How can you cut down? Tell the students not to sharpen them so often. (laughs) Remember, Miss Stanhope, it isn't the 50 cents involved that's important. It's the money. Get on the ball, and let's start cutting down expenses around here. Good day. Now, what do you want?
4: A happy new year, Mr. Conklin. I mean, I just happened to be passing your office and I thought I'd stop in and say hello.
1: Hello. Now, if you'll excuse me, I was just going to lunch.
4: But, Mr. Conklin, you don't want to go up to that drafty cafeteria.
1: What do you mean, drafty?
4: Oh, it is. It's almost as bad as the schoolrooms. What? And the gym and the biology laboratory and the domestic science room, in which your own daughter Harriet is at this very moment shivering and shaking while she sews her gloved fingers together on the sewing machine which Bessie Snyder broke. There, I said it, and I'm glad.
1: (laughs) If you're angling for another vacation, Miss Brooks, the answer is no. Now compose yourself and talk like a rational human being.
4: Well, it's like this, Mr. Conklin. If we could get a larger appropriation from the school... A larger
1: appropriation? <laughs> Miss Brooks, let me tell you what I was planning when you so fortuitously entered my office. I was planning on a general revision of expenses, an economy wave the likes of which this school has never seen. For example, you will in the future direct your pupils to use half as much chalk.
4: You mean no more capital letters?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And this building, it's kept like a hothouse. I intend to cut way down on the supply of coal we're wasting.
4: Wasting? But...
1: but. (laughs) Don't butt me, young woman.
4: Oh, I can't help it. I'm the goat that was picked for the job. (laughs) That is, it's it's not a question of a lot of money, Mr. Conklin. And the temperature of the school is very important. It certainly
1: is. And I find it extremely comfortable for the most part. But you, why are you wearing your overcoat?
4: It's just a silly quirk of mine, Mr. Conklin. I'm trying to break up an ice jam in my arteries.
1: Oh, nonsense. And take off those gloves. And I wish you'd stop smoking while you're talking to me.
4: I'm not smoking. I'm just breathing.
1: Well, cut it out. That's the trouble with people nowadays. They're all mollycoddled, softies. Why, when I think of our forefathers at Valley Forge... Dragging cannons through the snow with their feet wrapped in rags is enough to make my blood boil.
4: Well, it wouldn't boil in my room. (laughs) Look, Mr. Conklin, if you don't care about people, think of the poor little animals in Mr. Boynton's laboratory.
1: What's wrong with them?
4: The white mice can't run around on the treadmill without snowshoes. (laughs) McDougal doesn't know whether to croak, sneeze, or hiccup. So he does all three, and it's pretty depressing.
2: (laughs)
1: Well then don't listen to it.
4: And how about the basketball team? Walter Denton says that every time one of his substitutes goes into a game, he has to hide behind a trunk while they're changing blankets. Think a hundred dollars would remedy the entire situation.
1: A hundred dollars?
4: Plus two hundred for a new sewing machine, fifty for weather stripping my room, and a hundred and fifty for warmer tanks and better equipment in the biology lab. Five hundred dollars is all you have to requisition from the board, plus some added money for coal. And if you'll sharpen the sword, I'll fall on it on my way out.
1: <laughs> Miss Brooks, I'm going to try to control myself. I'm going to walk over to that window and look out. A moment later I'm going to turn around, and you will have gone quietly out of the door. That's <sighs> better. Five hundred dollars indeed.
2: Plus Coal. Get out! <laughs> well, here I am, Miss Brooks.
0: The cafeteria was pretty crowded today, young Denton here invited us to share his table.
4: Sure, sit down, Miss Brooks. Want me to get you a tray? Thanks, Walter, but I haven't time to eat right now. I've just let, left Mr. Conklin's office, and he's flatly refused to requisition a penny from the school board.
0: But the temperature, my animals, McDougal's toes are frostbitten now.
4: And how about my basketball team? We've got a very important home game on tomorrow night, and that gym is just icy. Oh, we got to do something, Miss Brooks. we just got to get some more coal into this building. Well, maybe we could start an airlift. (laughs) No, I guess not. Wait a minute. The only way to make Mr. Conklin see the necessity of improving the coal situation is to pretend we're all coming down with coals. You mean going to his office, sneezing and coughing and all? Exactly. He won't dare face a school board investigation if he thinks an epidemic is starting. Besides, I happen to know he's quite a hypochondriac when it comes to contagious
0: germs. But if we really don't have colds, it'd be lying to say we have, wouldn't it? It's a white lie for the common good, Mr. Boynton. But you know what happens to me when I tell a falsehood. I have a psychosomatic symptom that causes me to hiccup.
4: Well, we'll have to take that chance. (laughs) Think of McDougal, Mr. Boynton, and those blue goldfish swimming around depending on you to do something.
0: I'll do it, Miss Brooks. I'll be darned if I don't. Oh, I beg your pardon.
2: <laughs>
4: oh, forget it, Mr. Boynton. In a crisis like this, even I resort to profanity. Oh, fudge.
0: Come in. Uh, Mr.
1: Conklin, I got a bad coat. What? Uh, it did by Doze and Ed, mostly. Shoot! Yeah, turn around, Boynton. Don't you know those germs travel? How long have you had this cold? Oh, for a long time. Ain't <laughs> you? You caught something from that wretched frog of yours. Now go take some aspirin, go home early, do something, but get out of this office at once. Uh, but Mr. Conklin, if my laboratory was a little bit wobbly... I'll talk to you after you've recovered, boy. Uh, fine, Mr. Uh, Conklin. Uh, thank you, sir. Ain't uh, you? Better open the window and clear the air in this room. Ah. Ah, that's better. Come in. It's me, Mr. Cocklet, Water deaded. What do you want, Benton? As
5: manager of the basketball team, I'd like to request a warble jib. A what?
2: A warble jib to play in. It's freezing in there. I got it cold. You too?
1: Well, cover your face when you sneeze.
5: We got a very important game to play tomorrow. And we need some heat, then. Heat.
1: Well, if you've got such a bad cold, Denton, you'd better not come around to the game tomorrow. What? I'll be there and I'll appoint another manager.
4: But well, I'm not that sick, Mr. Conklin. Gosh, I feel great.
1: I mean. I think I know what you mean, Denton. This is all a scheme to get me to ask the board for more money. And I think I know who put you up to it. Too. She
2: did not. Oh, that is. <laughs>
1: Come in, Miss Brooks.
4: How did you know it was me, Mr. Conklin?
1: (laughs) I heard you rehearsing your sneeze.
4: Gee, you look great, Miss Brooks. Never saw you looking better. Thank you, Walter. You couldn't possibly have a cold or anything the way you look. Know what I mean? Keep talking, Denton. I don't mind. Why, what's the matter with you, Walter? I have a terrible cold in my chest and my head. It's from my room, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Gottlid, if that is the scream, you sure do a funny imitation of a person with a cold, Miss Brooks. What do you be, Dibbitation? Sure. Everybody knows you're
2: just fooling.
6: (laughs) Among my own pupils, a stool pigeon.
1: I knew this was all a plot, Miss Brooks, and I'm ashamed of you. Why, just because there's a little fresh air circulating through the school. (laughs) Good fresh air. You throw a fit. Our forefathers should see you now Those men at Valley Forge Dragging the cannon through the snow With rags tied around their feet Why oh, would I, I excuse think me. of them?
6: Oh. The door was open so I just came on in, Daddy Oh, uh,
1: What is it, Harriet?
6: I talked to Mother on the phone a little while ago And her back's bothering her a bit She'd like the heating pad
1: What heating pad?
6: The one you've got under the cushion you're sitting on <laughs> Here's the plug back
4: here Now if you'll just get up a minute There we are I'll take it home to mother right away.
1: Where in the world did that thing come from?
4: From Valley Forge, of course. The boys have... The boys must have got some hot rags for their feet.
5: And now once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
4: Well, Mr. Conklin recommended the necessary expenditures to the school board and personally ordered some coal immediately. I thought it was a very sportsmanlike and unselfish gesture, and I started to tell him so when I met him in the hall. Mr. Conklin, I think it was very nice of you to tackle this problem so promptly.
1: Thanks, Miss Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't prompt enough. I'm getting to
2: huh.
4: <laughs> the difference, Mr. Conklin, as long as you've got your
2: health. Next
1: week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and
5: luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lamont Abner, Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the
2: Columbia Broadcast News
3: and that's our Miss Brooks from January 9, 1949, with Poor Heat, starring Eve Arden, along with Jeff Chandler, Gail Gordon, Richard Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Jane Morgan. It was heard over CBS, a great comedy. All right, when we come back, we're going to tune into The Lives of Harry Lime, starring Orson Welles. But first, a commercial break. More
0: Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now
3: back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. This is Hollywood 360, and it's time now for Orson Welles in The Lives of Harry Lyme. Let's go back to September 7, 1951, for the Bohemian star on The Lives of Harry Lime.
7: Presenting Orson Welles as The Third Man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras.
8: That was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man... Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. No. he had many lives. And I can tell you about all of them. How? Because my name is Harry Lyme. A diamond as big as a hen's egg. Changed that to a duck's egg. And I held it right here in my hand. Not that I had any idea of keeping it, you understand. I was merely recovering it to return it to its rightful owner. Do I hear hollow laughter? All right. You don't have to take my word for it. Ask Scotland Yard. Get them to show you the files. What do you think I am? A crook? And now,
7: Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, in The
8: Bohemian Star. London, 1938. One of those quaint old English pubs, you know, with cubicles around the walls. Seated together, a boy and a girl. Not hard to look at either, the girl. Peaches and cream, that wonderful English type. In the next cubicle, a handsome, distinguished-looking American. Harry Lyme. Me. Not eavesdropping, of course, just interested. In a casual sort of way.
6: You mean to say you have to work? Yes. But you promised to take me to the pictures. I'm
5: sorry, dear. I didn't know this was going to turn up.
6: Look, Terry, if it's just that you're broke as usual and can't afford to cinema, let's walk in Hyde Park or feed the pigeons in Trafalgar Square or something. There's no need to spoil our evening altogether. No, it's not that Pat. Honestly,
5: I have got a job. The news editor wished it on me just as I was leaving.
6: What do you have to do?
5: It's an interview. Some South American Johnny called Senor Alvarez. I've got an appointment with him at the Hotel Splendid at 8.30.
6: What is it you have to see
5: him about? Well, ever heard of Bocanovia? Hmm, one of those
6: little Balkan states. Uh,
5: that's right. Well, three years ago, there was a revolution. And the monarchy was deposed, and what's ironically known as a People's Republic took its place. On the last plane out, some of the royal family escaped to London with the crown jewels. And they've been here in the safe deposit ever since.
6: What, the royal family? Oh, fathead,
5: no, no, the jewels. Incidentally, the pièce de résistance, as they say, is the Bohemian Star.
6: Oh, I thought that was an opera.
5: Uh-huh. Look, the Bohemian Star is the centerpiece of the scepter. A huge single diamond, almost as big as the Cullinan.
6: Makes my engagement ring look a bit silly, doesn't it? I always had a suspicion you were getting me on the cheap. Well, I like cheap.
5: Well, That cost me a week's salary at Hatton well,
6: you better demand an increase at once, darling. <laughs> anyway, what does Senua name?
5: Fit into all this Senor Alvarez is a leading jeweler of Buenos Aires. It seems the National Museum of the Argentine wants a replica of the Bocanovian crown jewels for an exhibition of some sort. And so the Senor's been sent to take photographs, sketches, you know, measurements and so on. And when he gets home, he'll reproduce the whole collection in paste.
6: Well, it sounds awfully dull to me. And for that, I have to miss Don Amici. Well, who cares about him?
5: I have to miss Betty Grable. Mm, there's
6: no justice in no. that. Can't
5: you get out of it somehow? No, I'm sorry, darling. Not a chance.
3: That's the first portion of The Lives of Harry Lyme from September 7, 1951 with The Bohemian Star starring Orson Welles. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360.
0: Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360.
3: All right, it's time now for the conclusion to The Lives of Harry Lyme from September 7th, 1951.
8: I've always had an interest in jewels, purely academic, of course, particularly diamonds, particularly big diamonds. My night was free. I was feeling in a benevolent mood, so I did what anyone might have done. Excuse me. I I hope you'll forgive my rudeness, but I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. I thought maybe I could help you out if you'd let me. Oh? Uh-huh. Perhaps I'd better introduce myself first. My name's Paul Atkinson.
5: Paul Atkinson? Hmm. Not the Paul Atkinson of American Associated Press. Well, I... I do an occasional stint for the AAP. Oh, gosh, I read your articles every week. I'm Terry Freeman of the Clarion. Glad to know you, Terry. Uh, this is my fiancée, Miss Pat Weston. Hello, Pat. How do you do? Uh, look, won't you sit down? Oh, thanks. Uh, this is uh, an interview you have to do is
8: sort of spoiling your evening together. I understand. Oh, no, just one of those things, you There's know.
6: There's nothing we can do about it, I'm afraid.
8: When do you have to turn your copy in? Ten o'clock tomorrow morning. Ten? I'll do better than that. I'll deliver it personally to you at nine on the dot. Guaranteed. Oh, uh, I don't follow. Well, you two kids go off to your movie. I'll interview this guy, Alvarez, and write your story for you.
6: Yes, but... Why should you do a thing like that? why not?
8: I haven't any girlfriends to take out. Pretty poor newspaper man who won't help a colleague when the chance turns up.
5: Oh, it's it's kind of you, but I couldn't dream of imposing on you like that, Mr. Atkinson. for the record, my friends call me Paul. Oh,
8: I assure you it's no imposition. Of course, if you're scared, I won't turn in a story up to
5: standard. Oh, gosh, look, it's not that. Why, you couldn't write a bad story if you tried, but. <laughs> look, what would my editor say if he found out? Who's going to tell him? You,
8: me, or Pat here? Of course, there's another way out. Oh, what's that? You go off to your interview,
5: and I'll take Pat to the movies. Uh-uh. Thanks. <laughs> I wouldn't trust even a newspaper man as far as that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay,
5: then.
8: The, uh, splendid, then. Uh, 8:30?
2: Yes, uh, look, all of uh, Forget same. it, My Terry, old
8: man. I'm not doing you a good turn. You're doing one for me. On the dot of 8.30, I pressed the bell to Sweet C, third floor, Hotel Splendide. I hadn't figured out any plan of campaign, you understand. This was just a sort of mm, preliminary survey. Smooth South American type introduced himself as Alvarez and invited me in. We drank each other's health and then... We settle down to business.
9: I am not very accustomed to be interviewed,
8: Senor Freeman. What is the procedure? Oh, it's easy. It's easy. I ask the questions and you answer them. Uh, I will do my best. Well, now, your job is to work out the precise measurements, as I understand it, of the jewels and their settings, so you can make exact replicas for the museum. Is that right? partly. Uh, but you understand it is much more than a matter of mere
9: measurement. Oh, yes, yes, I guess it must be. There is the color of the various jewels, oh, for yes. instance, and
8: some of the settings are of extremely intricate filigree. Tell me, senor, how did you fix it to gain access to the jewels? It was
9: necessary for me to make formal application to the Boccovini Royal Court in Exxon. And you
8: found them cooperative? Well,
9: naturally, one does not expect these favors for nothing. Oh, yes, sure.
8: There will be a certain,
9: how shall I put it, financial
8: adjustment. As yes, I see. Well, how long do you figure the job will take you? I hope to complete it in a month. How long have you been on it now? Just a week. What's the routine?
9: The routine?
8: Well, I dare say there's an armed guard and so on. Oh, but of
9: course. That is inevitable. The Bohemian Star alone is worth 500,000
8: pounds. Yes, that's $2 million. Now, who provides this guard? The
9: insurance company. There is a room at the safe deposit... And each morning, the item I require is taken in there, and I work on it. Under
8: observation? Yes.
9: There are two detectives who never take their eyes off me or my secretary. So you have a secretary, too? Yes, Manuel. He should be here soon, so perhaps you will meet him.
8: That's fine. Uh, tell me, senor, could it be arranged for me to come along one day and watch you actually at work? I cannot say as to that. i make a much better story, you know. Perhaps so. But it would be a matter for the Bokovinian authorities. Okay, okay, I'll... I'll I'll put in an application tomorrow. Will you support it? Naturally. Fine, that's settled then. And now I guess.
9: Uh... Ah, that must be my secretary now.
5: I am in here, Manuel. Oh, everything is fixed, Pedro. That very obliging gentleman, Senor Myerson, has finished the paste copy of the Bohemian Star, and I have it with me now.
3: Regard it, my friend, it is not
5: that. Manuel. Tomorrow, when the right moment comes, I will distract the attention of the detectives, and you will remove the real jewel and slip this one its place.
9: <coughs> Manuel, we have company. Hi.
0: You oh. fool to
9: talk, talk like that.
8: But how was I was like to know? Who is this man? One of my sons?
9: This is a gentleman named Freeman, a reporter from the evening, Clary. A reporter? <clears throat>
8: well, uh, thanks uh, very much for the interview, senor. Now, if you don't mind, what I think is I'll... your hurry? Well, uh, I uh, have to go on back to the office. You can a wait a little while. Hmm?
6: Let me pour you a drink.
8: Oh, no. Uh, thanks very much, woman. I,
9: I'm... I think
2: Sorry, you'd... I can't stay. I... I think you'd better, senor. This gun is loaded.
5: Well, oh... What's the big idea? You do not think we could let you go after what you heard, eh? Well, now, wait a
8: minute. I'm not the sort of guy who goes around shooting off his mouth. I can keep quiet. Mm, it is my intention to see you do keep quiet. Oh, it is.
6: There are ways. Well, how? Oh, such as uh,
8: we could kill you. Yes, yeah, yes. I suppose you could, but you won't. What makes you so sure? Well, these walls aren't very soundproof. The shot would be heard.
6: I have a knife.
8: Okay, you could kill me with your little knife. Then what? How do you mean? Having an odd body lying about the place might prove to be a little embarrassing, don't you think? You never conceal one in here. You couldn't risk getting it out without being caught. There would be certain difficulties, I assume. So agree. it looks as though you'll have to trust me after all. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it?
6: Good night, gentlemen. One moment, senor. There are other ways.
8: Oh? <laughs> what, for instance? Well,
9: this. What? Huh? Oh! Manuel! I have told you before, I detest violence. (laughs) That should keep him quiet for a little while.
6: You know, I've been thinking, why should a reporter on an English newspaper be an American?
9: I eh? dare say it does happen. Yes, perhaps so, but you must admit it is unusual. What are you looking for in his pockets?
7: Papers. Ah, a letter. There, what did I tell you? It is addressed to Harry Lyme. Harry Lyme?
6: But you know the name? But Of course.
9: So does every police department in the world. You mean I mean that compared with him, we are amateurs. Ah, ah
6: so that's it, We eh? must
9: do something, Manuel.
6: I know. I will drive the car to the back entrance and we will take him down the back stairs.
9: Like he is now? Well, why not? We will be seen.
6: We will say he's drunk. Then we'll drive him into the country and dispose of him. As he himself would say, take him for a ride.
9: Don't be foolish. There will be no killing. But surely. we are Jewel thieves, not murderers. A man like Lime would have powerful friends who would stop at nothing to get even with us. Besides, this is England.
5: What is that to do with it?
9: There is an institution here known as Scotland Yard. Oh. Extremely efficient, I'd understand. I have no wish to die with a rope round my neck, even oh. if you have.
5: Very well. You make a better suggestion.
9: All right. We steal the Bohemian star tomorrow, right? Right. Tomorrow evening we catch a plane, and next morning we are in New York, where we have many good friends who will look after us. Right? Right. And then it is quite simple. All we have to do is to keep our friends here quiet for a day and a half. And after that it will not matter how much he talks. Yes, and how are we going to do that? That eh? is up to Senor Myerson. He must find us a quiet place somewhere, and a reliable man to see that Senor Lyme does not escape till we are clear. <sighs> I will telephone him now. <sighs> You are waking up, senor. eh? Mm -hmm. We are going to take a little journey soon. But uh, I do not think it wise you should Mm -hmm. appear in public like this. Do you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's better.
8: Pleasant dreams, senor. It was early morning when I finally came to... My jaw ached where Moritz had clipped me, and I had the great-granddaddy of a hangover. I lay still for a while, and then took a sort of tentative look around. The room I was in was small, had a sort of shut-in feeling. Then I saw something else. A man. One of the biggest, toughest... Ugliest characters I'd ever clapped eyes on. Though, in a way, he looked sort of nice ugly, if you know what I mean. Not the not the mean type. He stood up when he realized I was awake, and as soon as he spoke, I knew I was right about it.
7: Watch it, chum. Have a good sleep?
8: Well, you ought to know.
7: <laughs> Been slumbering like an innocent babe, you have. Here, how'd you feel?
8: Well, like something the cat dragged in. There wouldn't be any coffee on that stove, would there?
7: Hmm? No. No. Well, I can fix you up with a nice cup of tea, the kettle will be boiling in a minute.
8: Oh, that's fine. Say, what's your name? Charlie. Mine's
7: Harry. Pleased to meet you, Harry, I'm sure.
8: Charlie, old man, where are we? Uh-huh.
7: Huh? That'd be telling.
8: How'd I get here?
7: <laughs> Sorry, chum. I ain't allowed to give no information strict instructions
8: mm, I understand how's that tea coming along
7: won't be off a tick now
8: i slept again afterwards it's going on for midday when i woke charlie had some food ready after we'd eaten, he suggested a game of cribbage to pass the time. I disapprove of gambling, except maybe poker for real steaks with a few aces up my sleeve. But my only hope was to cultivate Charlie. Thank goodness he was no hothouse flower, so we settled down to play. After about an hour, I judged the time for action was right. Fifteen-two,
7: fifteen-four,
8: a pair of six, and one for his knob seven. Puts me out. That's a sprat you owe me. A sprat? Yeah. A tanner. Sixpence. Oh, oh. Well, here you are. Tell. Your deal. Oh, sure. Look what I've done. Spilled them all over the floor.
7: That's all right, chum. I'll pick them up.
8: Thank you, Charlie. Oh! Thank you. One more for luck. Sorry, Charlie, old man. You're a nice guy. <laughs> I tore up a sheet and bound and gagged Charlie. He had some keys in the pocket. I let myself out. My guess had been right. I was somewhere in the east end. I walked till I found a main road and then called a cab. Where to, Governor? Uh, Hotel i Now, double your fare if you get me there in 15 minutes. Right. Hang on. There's only one way to tackle this job. The bold approach. At the Splendid, I went straight over to the desk and asked for Senor Alvarez. I'm
7: um, uh, sorry, sir. He's not in at
8: present. Well, how about his secretary?
7: Well, he's not in either, sir.
8: They haven't checked out, have they? They're still staying here.
7: They leave by plane for New York this evening, I understand, sir. Uh, is there is there
8: any message? No, 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 thanks. That's... that's okay. So they hadn't made the snatch yet. I had no idea where the safe deposit was, so all I could do was wait. Found a spot where I could keep out of sight and watch the elevators at the same time. An hour passed. An hour and a half. And then, there they were. As their elevators started to rise, I took the stairs three at a time. I reached the third floor just as the door of their suite was closing behind them. I wanted that bohemian star. Nothing greedy, you understand, but now or never. Gun in hand, I pressed the bell. You. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I wouldn't reach for a gun if I were you, nor you are it, sir. sir? Unless you've a wish to commit suicide. Just keep your hands up. Well up. Uh-huh. That's much more sensible.
7: How did you get
8: here? I got here by cab, if it's of any particular But, senor, mate. My... Oh, Charlie. Don't worry about him. He'll get over it. Come on, let's go into the sitting room and have a nice, cozy talk. After you, senor. And you.
2: Hmm. Yeah,
8: it's more like it. All right, chums. The rock. The rock? Diamond, the diamond, the bohemian star. But you're mistaken, senor. Oh. We have not got it, have we, Manuel? We oh,
5: know There must be some misunderstanding. The
8: only misunderstanding has been so far was in you fellows mistaking me for a sucker. Step over here towards me, or it's a...
5: What, me,
8: senor? Come on. There's your toll. I'll turn you back. Keep those hands well up. Hmm. Nice, efficient little piece of ironmongery you've got. I'll have that if you don't mind. Oh, no. but no doubt. Okay, you're next, Ovaris. But I assure you, your,
9: I give you my word of honor. And what's
8: this? Your word of honor?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
8: Quite a hunk of stone, isn't it? You won't mind if I take charge of this, I'm sure. Senor, senor, let us talk. What more is there to say? We
9: made a mistake, Manuel and I.
8: We admit. Considering I have the stone and this gun, that seems rather obvious, don't you think?
9: What I mean is that we made a mistake when we met last night, not inviting you to join us in this enterprise.
8: Oh, what gives you the idea that I might have joined you, you
9: in this? Harry Lime, are you not correct me if I'm wrong? But surely our object in this case has been the same—to obtain the Bohemian Star. Our object, maybe, but not.
8: Purpose. You speak in riddles, Senor. Oh, no, 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 not at all, old man. You stole this jewel for your own enrichment. I've taken it from you now to return it to its rightful owner. Its rightful owner? You will pardon us if we
9: smile,
8: Senor. You don't believe me? Okay, sit down, General. I have a little telephoning to do. Hello? Operator, get me Whitehall. One two one two. Well, that's Scotland Yard. or it's You Scotland do not Yard. mean that you are Please, going to telephone? Yes,
6: señor. Put down that telephone before it is too late. Eh? Let us make a bar.
8: Hello, hello. Is, is that Scotland Yard? It's
7: all right, Mister Lime. You needn't bother with that call. Now, oh, what's the idea? Who, who are you guys? I'm Detective Inspector Marsh, and this is my assistant, Sergeant Andrews.
8: Well, not so fast. How do I know you two are on the level?
7: Hmm. Oh.
8: Here's my warrant card. Oh, glad to know you, Inspector. This all seems annoying. Sorry I sounded suspicious, but, you know, you might have been a couple of crooks, too. <laughs> of course, the point hadn't occurred to me. This is
7: an outrage. You have made a great mistake, Senor. Uh, well, we'll thrash that out of the yard later. Uh, take him away, Sergeant. Yes,
8: sir. Now, come on, you two. Well, I'm certainly glad you turned up when you did. I can't figure but out how you got in so quietly. My ears don't miss much, and I'll, I'll swear I never heard that front door open. Well, of course you didn't. We've been here all the time. Here, in this actual room? Yes, behind those curtains. Well, I'll
7: be dying. And, what's more, we've a friend of yours. You can come out now, Mr. Freeman.
5: Hello there.
8: Why, oh,
7: Terry,
5: I don't get all this. Oh, it's all quite simply explained. When you didn't turn up this morning, I got a bit worried, so I phoned the AP, and they told me Paul Atkinson was in Malaya. Then I went round to the yard and gave the whole story to Inspector Marsh here. And you figure there must be some dirty work here, huh, Inspector? <laughs> well, it did seem that something odd was going on.
7: And doubly odd when I rang the Argentine embassy and they denied all knowledge of Alvarez and Noritza. Mm. So the management let us in here while they were away. We were just about to announce ourselves and find out what was what when the doorbell rang and you came in. So you figured you'd wait a while and see what happened, is that it?
8: Exactly. I say. Mm -hmm. What is it? Just as well I'm not a crook, isn't it? I mean, if if I tried to get away with the Bohemian star instead of falling the yard... I'd have found myself in a lovely jam, wouldn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, well, I sha not pretend we didn't
7: suspect you for a while, Mr. Lyme. But we know now that you're an honest man. That's right, all right. It's not everyone
8: who'd risk his life the way you've done. Oh, that's that's okay. Here, I I guess you'd better take this stone, Inspector. I'll be glad to see the last of it. Oh, thanks. Of course, you realize there'll be a reward. Oh, no, no. Please, please. I, I no, but, my it dear fellow, it's, it's, it's oh, no more no. than you're entitled
7: to. Don't you agree, Mr.
5: Freeman? Oh, Certainly.
7: I'll see the matters taken up with the Bocanovian
8: authorities and you'll hear from them in due course. Well, if you insist, though. After all, I was only doing my duty. And You know, Terry, I really did intend writing that story for you. I'm sorry I slipped up on it. I hope you didn't get into too much trouble with your news editor. Well, there was a bit of a row, but that's all right. Oh, it will be, old man, it will be. Just wait till he sees the story you've got for him now. Right here, maybe I'd better hand in a little explanation you're wondering what particular stroke of luck or lunacy led your old friend Harry to settle for just the reward, not to try for the diamond itself, at least while the going was good. Well, first of all, it was a very tidy little reward. And secondly, when I first came into that room, I just happened to notice the tip of what was unmistakably the shoe of a policeman sticking out out of the curtains. Now, you may think that knowing I wasn't alone with a couple of crooks that the realization that Scotland Yard was tuned in on our conversation had something to do with my decision to, shall we say, play it straight. That's what you may think. In fact, you'd be silly not to.
3: And that's The Lives of Harry Lyme from September seventh, 1951, with The Bohemian Star, starring Orson Welles. That was syndicated by Harry Allen Towers. And uh, Heard on Mutual, that was um, all produced and put together. All of the actors and things were all in London. Orson Welles at the time, Lisa, was living in London, and Harry Allen Towers approached him and said, hey, why don't we uh, do some shows together? So he did. He did two shows with Harry Allen Towers, who was a big producer uh, in London, and this was one of them, and the other one was the Black Museum, which we play those as well. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More
0: Hollywood 360
3: after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, we have Maureen Kelly back. She's a licensed esthetician. And Maureen, you, uh, I know, endorse this product. We endorse this product. It's called Epizen. It's terrific for any a sort of skin ailments. There's a really a big problem in this country. People that get shingles, they're in a lot of pain, and a lot of people get this. A lot of pain. They uh they don't know it's really not something you can cure. But epizin is very helpful to those people suffering from shingles. Can you tell people what shingles is and why this helps, Maureen?
7: Yeah, uh, shingles is, is a virus. It's part of the chickenpox virus. It comes between the layers of the skin and creates a very painful, itchy rash and it can leave scars on your skin. Mm. So, um, our, you know, the epizen with lidocaine is great for relieving that pain and that itching and helps with the healing and helps you to be more comfortable as you are healing from the outbreak of the
3: virus. Folks, if you have shingles or if you have any of these uh, ailments we've been talking about, you should try Epizin. It's uh, it's absolutely risk-free. Go to epizin, dot com, which is the website. You just put in the promo code RADIO, which gives you $10 off plus free shipping. And if you want to return it, you get your full money refunded. Next time, it's the Green Hornet and the Charlie McCarthy Show. Don't miss that. And uh, we'll see you all on our next show.